The Start On Demand. On demand. We spoke a lot today about vaccine hesitancy. A new national survey shows a lot of Canadians are still a little hesitant when it comes to the vaccine. A lot of that has to do with the AstraZeneca vaccine. And we learned as the show went on this morning that Manitoba is dropping the eligibility age to 40. Also on the pandemic front, Manitobans can no longer go to their Ontario cabins under new rules in Ontario as they have closed their province to Manitoba and Quebec. So we speak to a Winnipegger with a family cabin at Malachi Lake in Ontario. And we talked about rude awakenings. Lorraine has a hilarious story of overnight pandemonium, courtesy of her dog, Moose. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Lorraine McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Monday, April 19th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us on a Monday morning. One of the things we're going to be talking about today is rude awakenings, and we will explain why eventually. But yesterday, I think, was probably a a bit of a rude awakening for all of us, especially (laughs) considering what kind of a day Saturday was, Loren. I, I had a sunburn by the end of the day Saturday. In fact, I was just sitting out, you know, chatting with neighbors and and uh, trying to soak in the sun, and I kept applying sunscreen over and over again because I was like, oh, it's happening, like, keeps happening. And, of course, I woke up with this sort of, you know, where you miss a spot, Brett, and you've got this, I got the one red streak across the forehead, and then I look out the window, and there's snow on the ground, Greg. I told you, I'm not lamenting the snow, however. No, I know. However, I'm lucky that I'm here (laughs) this morning with you guys because... About 27 hours ago, I was taking out the garbage and where my garbage and recycling bin sit, I uh, realized that I was in a little bit of a puddle and I tried an ill-advised maneuver in order to sort of step over, skip, jump over a puddle and down I went in slush snow ice. My clothes were covered in water and uh, as I described to you last night, Brett, I-, I felt like I had been twisted like a fusilli pasta. <laughs> and I had a horrible day with my back yesterday. And I didn't know if I was going to be able to even get out of bed today. I feel great. So thank you, Advil. Right on. Well, I'm glad to hear you're the, doing oh, okay. He's hopped up. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Hopped up on goofballs this morning. So that's not going to help at all. But Saturday was incredible. I washed my car by hand for the first time this year, like, you know, in my driveway, swept the driveway, hosed it down, sprayed out all the yuckies from the garage, uh, finally felt comfortable to to get the hose going. So yeah, it was a beautiful day Saturday and yesterday. It felt like winter, but once again, there's lots of green grass underneath that snow. Oh my goodness, we needed the moisture. And uh, I don't know about you, Loren, but my lawn is greening up very nicely. Thank you to this to this uh, last bit of snow we've had this week. Mine's not. Still looking really dry, dragging. The, <laughs> I can't. I have to lament the lawn. I have to be honest because I love this dog. We've we got in January, but. It drags in a lot of stuff from that yard, which, yes, I know that sounds obvious, but until the dog's in the house 17 times a day, you're like, oh, where'd that come from? My yard? Huh. (laughs) Gross. That's basically where I'm at right now. Well, and actually your dog is going to provide the inspiration for our conversation at 645 about rude awakenings. Uh, Maybe just give us the Coles Notes version of the overnight pandemonium you recently experienced. Thanks to Moose. Well, so he, he, because I get up at four, he's used to that, right? Or sorry, I'm downstairs by four, rather. He's used to me being like on the go. And so if he doesn't hear me on the go by a certain time, I think it was 3.30, was it Friday this happened, Brett? And uh, so he bangs at the door and he bangs at the door if you don't come by. And it's like he thinks he can break it down. I'll be honest, this dog's not bright at this moment, but I feel like he's just little. (laughs) And so, because uh, he's constantly trying to get in the house too by just taking a run at the door just to see if it'll collapse on him. So um, he comes in on Friday, but it was around 3.30 because he's thinking he should be hearing me by now. 
and he bursts through the door somehow. It's not latched into the bedroom, jumps on the bed. I yell, oh, my God, Moose. He jumps off the bed, smashes backwards into the guitar as I turn on the light, knocks over a glass. The guitar rings out a <laughs> G break, chord. Did he break the glass? It's like, ba <laughs> Glasses on the ground. I turn on the light. He's just standing there with his goofy grin, tail wagging. Somehow, husband sleeps through all of this. Nobody gets up, and we just look at each other, and I go, okay, let's go. Quiet now. And he just backs back out with his dumb grin on his face and off we go. But it was a shock because I was there sleeping. And all of a sudden, within a second, we had a dog on the bed, glass on the ground, guitar playing music for me, and the dog just super pumped. It was a rude awakening. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Dogs, cats, anybody with a pet can relate to that. Uh, I've woken up many times to a dog, either nose or tongue on my face or a cat. Um, my cat Frankie used to jump up on the bed and sit beside me and he'd just start meowing. And this is like clockwork at 9 a.m. every day. I didn't need an alarm clock. Because he, because they're like, why aren't you up? Yeah. Like, I don't think I'll set alarm again. Moose will just be like, yo. And then just barrel through the door. On the flip side, Greg, I kind of get a great joy out of it in the morning now. I like to get the boys up that way. I'll go, come on, Moose, let's go. And he knows, oh, it's time. I get to get these kids up. And he runs as fast as he can to launch onto the bed. And, oh, uh, and they love that. They love oh. to wake up their boys. Uh, happens here in this house as well. Although uh, I, the tables have been turned on me because Whiskey, our uh, youngest, our puppy, is so, so protective of the boys. If I even dare try and shake the boys awake, if I put my hands, I get a... Oh. <laughs> he makes like 17 noises at once. And you would have thought that I was his absolute mortal enemy. He sounds like Cujo. Uh, so I should be happy because he's protective of his of the, of the boys. But holy smokes, who do you think feeds you, man? Do not talk to me like that. <laughs> How dare you talk to me that way? <laughs> Mackling McGarry McNabb on a day where the United States crossed the 50% of the population receiving at least one dose of one of the available COVID-19 vaccines threshold. Canadians in two of its largest provinces received news that the eligibility for one of the vaccines available in this country would be expanded. Yeah, both Ontario and Alberta say they will be administering the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccines to people age 40 and over. In a statement Sunday afternoon, a spokesperson for Ontario's health minister, Christine Elliott, said that based on current supply, pharmacies and primary care settings in the province would be offering the vaccines to the now larger age group starting tomorrow. Alberta Premier Jason Kenney said in an announcement on Twitter Sunday evening that his province will also be giving shots of AstraZeneca's vaccine to people over 40, Loren. So now, of course, there are Manitobans asking, will Manitoba follow in the steps that footsteps of Alberta and Ontario and and change the guidelines around the AstraZeneca vaccine. And we're asking the province that question this morning and you, our listeners, how you feel about that, because there were reports circulating on social media over the weekend that there was a major pharmacy here in Winnipeg that had AstraZeneca doses it needed to use by the end of the day. And it wanted to people to come and, and, and use those before they were wasted. And we know there are reports of some pharmacies throughout this country that, that are struggling to basically give away these vaccines because people aren't coming in part, maybe because of some hesitancy or just because of those guidelines that restrict them right now. So did you guys hear about this pharmacy. Did anyone in our audience reach out? How did it go? Send us a text, 780-6868. Let us know how you feel about this and whether or not you tried to take up that pharmacy on its AstraZeneca offer. In the meantime, Global's Paul Johnson has more on the findings of a new Insights West poll on vaccine hesitancy right across this country. Come on. The results really surprised me. The good news for public health leaders is that nearly half of the Canadians questioned in Steve Mossop's poll have either received the vaccine or say they're 100% certain that they're going to get it. But there were some surprises about the thinking of the other 50%. I think the biggest concern coming out of the poll is that you've got a percentage of people who are uh, leaning towards not getting vaccinated that's a lot higher than what we need when we hear from the experts. For example, 
15% said they will not or are unlikely to get vaccinated. And they're among the 25% of those polled who don't think the vaccines are effective anyway. 18% said they didn't think COVID is a serious disease. For much of the pandemic, many Canadians could justifiably feel that our collective response was more rational and science-based than our neighbors to the south. This new poll might throw some cold water on that notion. Like the U.S., younger Canadians are much more likely to fall into the vaccine-hesitant category. If you look at British Columbia, we're the most willing of all the provinces to get the vaccine. B.C. got high marks for leading all provinces in willingness to get the shot. And then there was this factoid, no doubt going to fire up the political people. Interestingly enough, federal conservative voters are three times as likely as, uh, as liberal voters or NDP voters to be on the vaccine hesitancy side. Paul Johnson, Global News. Lots of numbers in that poll. It's concerning for me to hear not just the fact that there are people who might not want to get it, and that's just because of my own personal thoughts about wanting to get this vaccine, but the fact that there are people who don't believe in its effectiveness. And Greg, I think you only have to look south to see how the vaccine is working in places like Texas that many mocked months ago for its surging rates because of that vaccine. I think it's less than 1% who are vaccinated or are finding themselves ill with COVID. But we start this half hour with Ontario. We learned over the weekend, Ontario shutting its borders to Manitoba and Quebec. That means if you have a cabin in Ontario, you're out of luck. So I immediately thought of a friend of mine who has a family cabin at Malachi Lake. So let's get him on. You might remember his name if you've been listening to CJOB for a while. Mike Grosvenor, former technical producer extraordinaire, joins us now live on The Start. Michael, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone this morning? Doing all right, buddy. Good to hear your voice. So what was your reaction to the news? Uh, initially, shock. I kind of thought it was like an extended April Fool's joke, like the no buying beer at a golf course thing. <laughs> and uh, just waited for somebody to say, ha, Sykes, you can still go to your lake. And then uh, sadness quickly overtook me, uh, to be honest. Well, talk about that a bit, Mike, because we're entering that time of year where people would be planning those trips. You know, May Long's not far away. So you say the word sadness. How often would you get out there? And what are your thoughts as you head into the spring season without that access? Uh, this is ramping up time. So the ice has just gone out. Our cabin happens to be water access only, which I know a lot of lakes in that area happen to be. And uh, this is when we go out there, take assessment of any damage over the winter and start planning what projects I'm going to spend my summer working on and what I'm really going to do and buy, you know, a couple of beers and sit on the deck and enjoy the weather. And just the realization that um, I don't know when I'm going to get to do that. I don't know when I'm going to get to take my family out there. I've booked holidays, was up lucky enough to get some summertime off. And I don't know what that's going to look like for a lot of us. So um, I, I guess just uh, hopeful at this point that something's going to change, that numbers are going to go down, restrictions are going to loosen, but yeah, it's just a whole lot of unknown and waiting right now. Good morning, Michael. GMAC here. Uh, I know that Manitobans consider Northwest Ontario, at least parts of it, sort of uh, Winnipeg East or Manitoba East, and, and that provincial boundary doesn't really affect us. But obviously, here we are this morning, and uh, that boundary is in effect, unlike at any other time in a long time in our history. Do you understand why Ontario's doing what they're doing? I mean, ultimately, I understand what the provincial government in Ontario is trying to accomplish, and that's to limit the spread and to limit the amount of people coming into the province. But I almost separate northwestern Ontario from the GTA, southern Ontario, completely as two different provinces, much like, you know, in curling, there's a northwestern Ontario team and there's an Ontario team. Um, that whole area is, is, is thriving, I think, because Manitobans go there summer, winter, fall, spring to enjoy those, that beautiful section of country and 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 right now i think the government's penalizing people who we typically don't interact with any other people we're kind of really good at being self-sufficient and being on our own and if i don't want to see anyone i have the luxury that nobody's really next door to me and i don't go into Kenora. i don't plan to shop and that's not what i'm there for i can shop at a no frills and get my milk and bread in winnipeg and then i can sit in my cabin and eat my milk and bread and not see a single soul. 
Well, and I can vouch for that. I've visited, I have visited Mike's cabin in Malachi Lake and uh, we drove, it's about 45 minutes into Ontario and then we had to stop and uh, grab your boat and then we loaded up the boat and we took it out to the cabin, about a 20 minute ride on the boat and then your cabin is relatively secluded as well. So the only people I saw that weekend were you and the guys who came with us. Well, and that's just it. I mean, uh, as far as Malachi Lake, and I know a lot of other lakes that have the same sort of communal docking areas, we've been doing our own COVID-19, you know, social distancing for over a year now, just like everyone else has across the country. Uh, You get to the dock, you put your boat in. If somebody's there, you wait, you say hello, you stand around and then you know you when it's your turn and there's space and you're not walking over top of each other then you go and put your boat in we've been doing that for a year just like every other place i really have the blessing of not having to see anyone which sounds super selfish but i didn't go out to ontario to typically spend time with hundreds of other people i went out there to be with my immediate family or friends or whatever people are in my tiny little bubble and that's it what do you say, Mike? And you know that this can be a, a cynical business and people have all sorts of responses to this on social media. And so what do you say to those that say, ah, too bad, suck it up so you can't go to your second home kind of thing. You'll be fine for a few weeks. What's your response to that? I totally understand that side of it. And for a long part of this pandemic, I've been saying the same thing. Oh, you can't go to a movie theater. Big deal. You don't need to go to a movie theater. This is people's property that they pay property taxes for. They pay hydro bills for. And I can assure you, as one of those people that pays those property taxes and those bills, and they're not extreme, all I would say the hydro bill is extreme, those bills are still going to come in regardless of whether I can go to my happy place or not. A lot of it, too, is the fact that it's that family's happy place. You know, I've got a a two-and-a-half-year-old son. He wants to go out to the cabin, catch his first fish. I want to take him out there and spend time on the water. You know, we have stressful jobs. We've been dealing with this pandemic for over a year now with really no end in sight, and for a lot of people, this is their reprieve. This is their getaway from the stuff, we'll call it, going on in the city right now and the opportunity to just relax, rewind, and and chill out for a few days before getting back into the real world. I work in emergency services, so I can appreciate that it's it's a stressful time for a lot of people, and this is their place to go. I'm not trying to be one of those people that says, oh, you know, it's not a big deal, just suck it up and go on to the next thing. You know what, this is a big deal for a lot of people to have that opportunity to just go out there and be with their families. What's the answer, Mike? I think the simple answer is the Ontario government is wanting people not to go into their populous areas. Instead of blocking people at the Manitoba Ontario border and on stopping them from going to their cabin, why not have checkpoints set up on the entry into Kenora? There's only a couple of entrances. That's really the only place people are going to frequent. And then you have to present ID and say why it is you're coming into Kenora. If you can't buy your beer and your gas in Winnipeg, then you shouldn't be going into Kenora to get your stuff. You don't want to overflow that populace. Mike Grosvenor, thank you very much for joining us this morning, sir, to provide your insight and experience. And hopefully uh, it'll be sooner than later that you'll be able to take your family back out to Malachi. Hopefully I can take all three of you out to the cabin soon enough. Take care, everyone. <laughs> That'd be Ooh. great. It's, it's a, <laughs> I'm it's, texting him now. <laughs> it's hey, a, Mike, what? haven't met you, but just really think I could be a great cabin guest. <laughs> I'm, I'll bring spot. everything you need. I don't know. And the kids. So the kids are coming and a dog. But other than that, I would think I'd be great. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we want to talk about rude awakenings. Tell us a story about a rude awakening at 204-780-6868 for your chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. In case you are just tuning in and missed it earlier, Loren, what was the impetus for this conversation? Basically, uh, Friday morning, if my dog likes to get me up if I'm not up in time, the door is always shut because otherwise he would be on the bed. But somehow the door wasn't latched, right? Or it just came unlatched at some point in the night because he didn't bug us all night. And then before I'm about to get up, all of a sudden I just hear this bang on the door, a dog on the bed. I jump up, dog falls off the bed, hits the glass, glass falls on the ground, (laughs) turn on the light, dog backs into the guitar that's leaning against the wall, guitar smashes to the ground, plays like a really long... Dog looks at me with tail wagging, and I'm like, what in the fresh heck? I'm sweating. And so I said to you guys, that was one heck of a rude 
awakening. And then we went on with our day. I mean, it got me up. It worked. It was successful. And weirdly, it didn't wake anyone else in the house up, which it should have, which defies logic because I can sometimes tiptoe down the hallway and everyone will be like, why are you making so much noise? So yes, we wanted to talk rude awakenings. <laughs> Eve suggested uh, you were doing your El Cabong imitation. And you have to be a certain vintage to remember El Cabong. I think that was from the... Uh, uh, I, won, I almost said Bullwinkle, but it's a uh, quick, quick draw McGraw. I think was oh, wow. uh, was the cartoon way back in the Yogi Bear era. Anyway, uh, El Cabong was a, a favorite character for a lot of us. Cam Poitras, what's your story? Well, I was uh, actually uh, suffered through one of these just recently. I was uh, taking a nap over at my fiance's place, and I was sleeping in the in the in the in the basement. And uh, she's the youngest uh, of three. And uh, so she, of course, being the youngest is, uh, is kind of a pain in the butt. You know, you have to you, you, you perfect bugging when you were the youngest. So I was <laughs> sleeping and she comes up right next to me and she starts like uh, poking me in the head and saying, what are you doing? Are you awake? Are you awake? And she starts, oh, the nice eyelash. I'll take that. Starts pulling that out of my head. <laughs> and then she goes, hold on. Just let me uh, sing you uh, a lullaby so I can put you back to sleep. And she goes, ow. <laughs> The uh, I think it's the immigrant song by Led Zeppelin. That's right. And uh, I just burst out laughing. It was one of the funniest things I'd ever heard. It was just, it was absolutely perfect. So, rude awakening. But uh, we, we've actually been laughing about that like several times over the last couple of days. So, uh, I don't mind it so much. But at the time, when I'm trying to sleep, a little annoying. <laughs> Well That's done. Because you're in the early days of love. Ten <laughs> years, you're gonna cover across, cover across quiet. the head. <laughs> Remember what they say: the things that adore, that make them adorable in the beginning, will drive you crazy in the end. <laughs> uh, Jeff, oh, I love, I love her anyways. <laughs> you all get used to it, Cam. Just because being on the morning shift, if you're gonna nap in the afternoon, you're going to get a rude awakening. A lot of the time, just because, it's, yes. you know, the rest of the world is up. And that happens to me constantly. The worst is when there's construction. Eleven years ago, I lived in an apartment building, and they were converting it all to condos, and they were rebuilding every suite from the ground up. Everyone had to move out, and it took me a while to move out. In fact, I was like one of the last two people to leave that building. But for three months, they were doing construction inside the building, and I was trying to nap with a jackhammer in the room beside me going off, and on the other side of the wall, it was just—it was just a nightmare. I've never slept less in my life than those three months in 2011. Why did it, why did it take you so long to get out? I was just looking for a place to looking to buy a place, and just took a while to find a place. Ah, okay, okay. I thought maybe you were just holding on. Uh, you'll you'll <laughs> never get rid of me. You can't get rid of me. <laughs> Forte, what about you? Uh, a few years ago, I was living at my parents' place, and it's the middle of the night, and I I get woken up by, and I'm hearing this thing, and I'm, before I open up my eyes, I go, no, that sounds like someone's house alarm going off. And then I realize that's my house alarm going off. <laughs> so I jump out of bed. I run to the alarm panel, which is by the front door, the back door of the house, and uh, turn off the alarm. And then I realize, you know what? I'm just in my boxers. Like, I got nothing else on. The alarm's going off. Like, what if somebody was in the house? And there I am, just in my gitch. So it really freaked me out. So I go back to bed, and, you know, the alarm company phones you, except the phone rings, and it's my mom. It's not the alarm company. Well, she said the alarm company tried phoning, but I'd slept through the alarm for so long. It must have been going off for about four or five minutes before it actually woke me up. But I'm telling you, like, I was shaking. Like, you know when you get scared and just you're shaking, like, you're just waking up out of the blue. It freaked me out. But, yeah, just realizing, like, I got a bat in my closet. I didn't grab that, you know. I run to the alarm panel in my boxers. <laughs> uh, what, what did you say you grabbed? Sorry, a bat? Well, no, I have a bat in my closet. Oh, I always keep I a bat in my closet, just in case. You never know, intruder. Yeah. So I've grabbed the broom before. I don't know. No, I don't know what I think that broom's going to do, but <laughs> someone's going to get a it. Deadly weapon, you know. Ackling, what's your story? Uh, I get, would have been one of our last family uh, vacations before my parents split up, and we were doing a trip out west as we usually did and we were on the Icefield Parkway between Jasper and Banff and the day was uh, getting long so decided to stop grabbed a campsite and we set up site they have these little cooking areas they're like almost like a, a stone hut with a big fireplace and uh, people will get together and cook in there anyway this uh, camp 
campground or campsite rather that we decided to take it was probably one of the last ones was just maybe a little bit too close to the cooking area because about two in the morning we were woken to this one the <laughs> sounds demonic <laughs> bears oh. bears looking for food bad combination when uh, you know when you're uh, live and have a, a scent so <laughs> we ended up sleeping in the car overnight uh which is you know you know set the table for someone that sleeps uh can sleep anywhere like me i've slept a lot of times in the car but that was probably the most disruptive uh of all the uh let's get into the car and sleep opportunities i've had in my lifetime and uh yeah just happy to be here with you guys this morning <laughs> 204-780-6868 tell us a story about rude awakenings for your chance to win 20 dollar gift card santa lucia pizza Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, we're asking you to text us at 204-780-6868. Rude awakening stories like this one. Listener says, every morning, every morning, my cat wakes me up to feed him at 4.30 a.m. He does not meow. No, no. He rubs his face on everything. Computer screens, desk, phone. Do you know what the worst part is? He has an auto feeder that feeds him at 530. <laughs> but yet he insists on bothering me. See that time change stinks. <laughs> oh. The cat's working on standard cat's working time. On, uh, Not standard interested time. in daylight savings, no. <laughs> Saving. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Good for you, Loren. And uh, Loren, you also enjoyed Gary's story. Well, he just wrote that it came last fall around 3.30 in the morning. The house alarm went off. That in itself is unusual, he texts, as it wasn't armed. Couldn't figure out what was causing the alarm to sound. I searched the house. All the windows and doors are secure. But suddenly I noticed a noise from the basement. The sump pump is screaming. I go down, lift the lid off to the pit, and it's about to overflow. So I unplug the pump to stop the screaming, but what do I do about the water and why isn't it flowing out? Quickly realize the outside hose is still connected. It must have froze. So there I am in the backyard in boxers and a t-shirt taking the hose off the sump discharge. Got a little wet from the water, he says. Thankfully, the pump was unplugged or I'm sure I would have been showered in sump pump water that morning. Mm. Mm. Yeah. They, he got to sleep a little bit, he says, before the alarm went off. Those are the hard ones when you have to get up and, and be act, like be active in the moment, not just wake up and say, get out, get out of here, dog, or go away, cat. When your mind has to instantly engage to solve a problem in the middle of the night, that's like, what is happening? You're just, you, that's hard. That was like the morning after the 1990 Grey Cup. Of course, I'd been at the game. I was here visiting from Calgary. My brother was supposed to get up to do uh, milk root for my dad. Mm -hmm. And of course my brother sleeps in. My dad's banging at the door two hours after my brother's supposed to be up. Guess what big brother does? Gets up, out of bed, on vacation, goes out, does the milk root for a baby brother who had uh, imbibed a little too much the day before. You're welcome, Kev. So text us at 204-780-6868, your rude awakening story. We would love to hear your story. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning, getting a lot of rude awakening stories related to your pet. This one says, I had a terrifying experience with our pet cat. Cat was, for all intents and purposes, my wife. She loved my wife and was always around her all the time, so I'd gone away on business for a week and came back. While our cat decided to claim her territory, I was sleeping mostly when I felt something that I could not identify, and it turned out that uh, my cat had decided to just sit on my face while I was sleeping. So <laughs> there's actually more to that story that I can't quite share uh, because it's a little... <laughs> it's too early in the morning for that. People are having so. breakfast and just use your imagination. The cat thought that he was... You know, where you go. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Oh, that's the worst, though. I, my cat, uh, Frankie, 
I loved that cat. I loved that cat so much, but he every so often would decide to sleep on my pillow and you and half of my head as a pillow. And then I would sort of wake up and put my hand under him and throw him across the room. And then I'd wake up an hour later and he'd be back there again. And that would mean that my entire day was a write-off because of allergies. So, uh, yeah, cats, man, they're great. But pets are great, but <laughs> they're, they're well, a pain. You know what else is great this time of year when you start to hear the birds out? And I was out for a walk the other day and I thought, oh, listen to that. That's such a great sound of spring. 24 hours later, my window was open. I was waking up Saturday morning looking to have an extra 30 minutes and I hear this like, and I'm like, shut up, bird. Like, I don't want to hear you. Like, I went from just loving the sounds of spring to being like, listen, bird, I've got 30 extra minutes here. I don't know where you live. I don't know where, why you think this is your home, but I'm not interested. That didn't take long for the right. script hey, to flip I, there. I hey, what was that, 48 hours at, Not even. Not even. I was ready to go outside with some sort of BB gun. <laughs> take that oh thing my. down. Oh, <laughs> Farm girl, hey? Scary. You probably got that pellet it. gun Just under your it. bed, don't you? So keep your rude awakening stories coming. 204-780-6868. Chance to win a San Lucia pizza gift card. $20 worth. We'll give it away just after 9.15. In our next segment, we're going to talk about whether or not more restrictions could be coming to Manitoba. But right now, Loren, we want to talk about a, a doctor's survey as it pertains to AstraZeneca. Well, it actually connects to two things we're talking about this morning. So first of all, we had uh, Doctors Manitoba. They put out a release this morning to, to say that you know, their members are pretty concerned about how this vaccine rollout is going, 88%, saying that they don't think it's happening fast enough and that there's some concern, just over 60% concerned that this might mean we don't get to herd immunity quickly enough. And so they're talking about the fact that they'd like to be more involved in the handing out of vaccines, um, that maybe they, that more people would enjoy getting the vaccine or want to get the vaccine from their doctor's office. And so this report, we're going to get up online, globalnews.ca and, and cjob.com just to, to hear what the doctors are saying. But we know, Greg, people are really concerned at the pace to which is, this is happening. And now, of course, we have doctors weighing in on it repeatedly over the past few weeks. And this ties into the fact that uh, there are vaccines available, at least the AstraZeneca vaccine, from what we can hear at some pharmacies, but people aren't going to get it. And that could be in part because of some hesitancy, or that could just be because of the guidelines. And we know that Ontario just yesterday announced it was going to lower the age eligibility for AstraZeneca to 40. Alberta followed suit a few hours later. And so we're asking the province this morning, will we do the same? Open it up, give the option mm-hmm. to more people, not just the options of where to get the vaccine, like doctor's offices or or have more pharmacies involved, but the vaccine itself. If we change those guidelines, would you have more people taking it on? Because right now, the last thing I want to hear is that vaccines are being tossed or not being used because nobody either wants them or can qualify for them. And once those vaccines are opened, they have got about 45, right. five, uh, 48 hours, pardon me, pharmacists do in order to use them up. And so if, you fall, if you're on Twitter at all, uh, check out Steve Lambert with the Canadian Press. He joins us regularly here on The Start and other CGOB programs. And he had a nine-tweet thread outlining how he got his AstraZeneca vaccine. He's 55, so he fit within the age qualifications but he didn't fit under any of the other qualifications but he got on the phone and started calling multiple pharmacies to find out you know and basically to to let them know that hey if you have some leftover uh, vaccine that looks like it's going to be going to waste please let me know some pharmacies are hesitant to to put the needle into someone who's not on the list. Others seem to be willing. What is your experience with that? 780-6868. And Brett, also that that tweet that was circulating yesterday with regard to one of the larger pharmacies in town who had was basically pleading for people that fit the criteria to come and get vaccinated yesterday because they were in danger of having some vaccines and some doses go to waste. And then this morning, we got an email from one of our loyal listeners who says that uh, he became eligible over the weekend when the age restriction dropped to 55. So he went online to book his vaccination, and the earliest he could get was late May 
Well, he thought that seemed ridiculous based on what he was hearing. So he went and called the toll-free line. And I'm going to give that out right now, by the way, 844-626-8222-844. It stands for M-A-N, man, hyphen, vax, V-A-C-C, 626-8222. And he was able to get an appointment for today by phoning that number. He was on the phone for 10 minutes. So that, that shouldn't be happening. No, it's. I think that the complication there shouldn't be happening. And and again, if there are people out there who are wanting the vaccines versus the people who who might not, let's. Just, is there the argument now? Then let's just get it out there, regardless if you're 35 or 64, because this doctor's Manitoba survey also showed that there was about 16 percent of people, sorry, nine percent who didn't want it, and then then another 16 who were in no rush to get it. So that's a quarter of their people surveyed who are kind of just. Maybe not going to get it at all. And so we need to make it easier. We've been saying that forever. Maybe we do need to change the criteria. Brad, have you given a thought of, you know, they talk about vaccine shoppers, people looking for the vaccine they'd like to have versus the one they might want to get. If if you could go get the AstraZeneca today, would you? Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I, I understand why there is some hesitancy towards that and sure. there, with a blood clotting. But as we discussed the other day, all of the medications we take have the risk for side effect. And I would actually point to Fred Penner. You can always point to Fred Penner when you need some wisdom. He posted on social media yesterday pointing to six illnesses like smallpox and polio and diphtheria and measles. And he says vaccination has nothing to do with human rights and everything to do with human survival and health. And I think that's important to know. Like, yeah, there there could be risks with these vaccines, but I think the risk is greater if we don't get the vaccine. And to know, like, as we heard in that national survey, that half of Canadians still have some, at the very least, questions on this. And I asked questions as well on our 680 CJOB Instagram story. Uh, I'm just pulling those up now. One of them is, are you hesitant to get vaccinated? And looking at that right now, it's uh, two to one in favor of no so we're still so it's still a third of the voters are saying yeah they're they're hesitant at least so i think it's okay to be hesitant but uh let us know what you think 204-780-6868 you can email mackling at cjob.com mcnab at cjob.com or brett at cjob.com and as we continue through the morning up next we want to talk about Possible restrictions, further restrictions we could see in Manitoba. Are we going to get any more as we look to head into summertime? What's going to be happening? Are we going to be able to go? We can't go to cottages in Ontario. Will we be able to go to cottages in Manitoba? Or just camp? Can't, oh, yeah. All that right. effort put into camping, could you imagine? <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, we'll discuss. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, GMAC, when I was sitting at uh, the pub on Friday, everyone was wondering, like, when is, is today the day they're going to drop some new restrictions? Because it was sort of hinted that we might see some updated restrictions in Manitoba, but so far, mum's the word. Um, so what do you think? Uh, do you think we're going to get some more restrictions coming into Manitoba? Well, I think my guess is as good as anyone's at this point. Uh, I agree. I think we thought we were going to see some increased restrictions, modified uh, restrictions for uh, retailers. I know I was speaking with uh, one of my buddies who uh, has a has a retail operation, several in the city, action. He's quite nervous about uh, what could come over the next several days. And when it didn't come Friday, it, you have to wonder, what does that mean? Well, the numbers over the weekend weren't terrific in terms of new infections, and uh, I'm trying to put them at my fingertips right now, Loren. I don't have them here, but uh, really overall, they were they were well over uh, you know, bordering on a couple hundred each day, which is not the kind of numbers that we want to see. Even though the test positivity rate is hovering around that five percent province-wide, I think it's five point three in Winnipeg. At least it was yesterday, and what was very encouraging to me even though the overall numbers might not have been, was the fact that there were almost 2,000 tests done mm-hmm. uh, on on Friday and I believe on Saturday. So those numbers are encouraging in terms of people stepping up to make sure they're getting tested. Uh, I don't know when we could, when the next opportunity will be for the province to to suggest or to announce some of these modified restrictions. 
Well, Dr. Atwal said, take a look around you. This was on Friday. Take a look around you, Manitoba. See what's going on around you and basically get it together. Like, it's not, you know, what's happening in Ontario and Saskatchewan and Alberta and BC. Those are all things that could come here if we don't start taking maybe the current restrictions more seriously. And then he did mention that, yep, potentially early this week we could start to see more. And so when we saw it was handed down in Ontario Friday, which did receive so much criticism by people for some of the measures, you know, they had a playground closure and then they reversed on that. And then they have sweeping powers for police that are allowing police in Ontario, if they if they choose to, to pull people over and ask for their ID to see if they are too far from their residence. And so that, of course, then had small and big police groups like Toronto Peel, even those around Cottage Country in Ontario saying, yeah, we're not going to do that. We don't have the resources to do that, but we also don't have any interest in just randomly basically carding people under these guidelines. Uh, but they were criticized for that plan. But the message overall was stay home, stay as close to home as possible. And so when I heard what Ontario was doing, Brett, one of my thoughts was if our numbers continue to trend in the dr- wrong direction and we don't get it under control sooner, if we ever just hypothetically considered any sort of the restrictions that Ontario has put in place, well, then that impacts life maybe in late May or early June, talking summer, right? Where now they're saying to you in Winnipeg, we don't want you leaving Winnipeg and going golfing somewhere else, or we don't want you, Lorraine, going to cabbing up to Clear Lake. We want you to stay as close to, to home as possible. And it's the summer. Everyone's been looking for the summer as sort of that reprieve from all of this. And I, I don't want it to be in jeopardy. I just don't know what the answer is in terms of what needs to change now. Yeah, and, it, and I, I understand that if they do take some of that stuff away, when well, I guess we'll just have to suck it sure. up. But it is important to, you know, as Mike Grover pointed out last hour, it's my reprieve. So whether your reprieve is going to the cabin, whether your reprieve is going camping, whether your reprieve, like for me, is to go golfing, we all need that right now because mental wellness is taking a beating during this pandemic. And like, for example, I'm, I actually, I'm, I've, so I've got my annual event, the Laker Classic, or this year we're calling it a Heckler because we're going to heckla. But uh, I'm looking to start something else with a couple of buddies. Um, we actually want to go to your neck of the woods, to both of you. That We want to do a thing where we go to Minnedosa and Nipawa for the weekend and stay there for a weekend. We're going to call it the, the New Nine Invitational. But uh, I, who knows if we're even going to be able to, to do that at all. I actually was I'm curious to know what the restrictions or what the rules are. I guess if I were to, say, book this, I'd probably need to book four individual hotel rooms, I imagine. I, now that I think about yep. that out loud. Yeah, Greg? Yeah, I think you would. Yeah, for sure. Um, no doubt in my mind you'd need to do that. We were discussing off-air this whole Ontario situation with the cottages. And I know how many people in Manitoba have cottages in Northwest Ontario, lots of people in my circle, and I feel bad for them. But could you imagine being the official elected or otherwise that stands up and says, Ontarians, you are not allowed to go to your cottages. And by the way, if you see Manitoba license plates in your neck of the woods, while you're doing your mandatory only uh, essential travel and errands, it's okay because Manitobans are allowed to go to their cottages in northwestern Ontario. How do you think that's that would have gone over? No, not well. Not well not at, at all. all. Oh, the uproar. Yeah. So, I mean, the travel thing is a big one, I know, for people. And then when they when they hear the news that you can't say, say you do have a property in Ontario that you can't go to that, then you, of course, have people weighing in saying, hang on, we still have all sorts of international travel planes coming and going, people traveling interprovincially, but I can't go to my own property. And so I get those, I get that there's that concern there and that upset, but I, I don't know, like they're, they're pulling out of a bag of tricks that they have and there's only so many tricks in that bag. And so I think that I just what I keep thinking is if you watch the cases going on around you, are you also you obviously you're watching the restrictions that are changing in provinces around you. And that's why people are watching and and maybe worrying. So after nine, we're actually bringing on a professor who studies cross border travel measures. And she's been looking at the in this pandemic. And we're going to ask that question about whether the bans work. But more than that, what's the line between, you know, what your right might be as a citizen to travel versus the health crisis we're in right now? Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Reminder, we need you to text us at 204-780-6868 on Rude Awakenings for your chance to win that $20 gift card, San Lucia Pizza. Getting a lot of cat-related stories. Here's another one. Our very senior cat wanders around the house, meowing during the night, carrying around a stuffed toy penguin in her house. 
That alone is annoying, as it's usually around 3 a.m. when it happens. But lately, our dog has decided to chime in and start howling, too, and she hears the cat. It's not every night, but when it happens, it's a mad rush to shut the dog up so our son doesn't wake up. <laughs> so, t- ah, pets at night. 204-780-6868. I think my buddy used to refer to that as the, the mad kitty tear-up. If you have two cats... They usually choose about two or three in the morning to decide to start running around the house. <laughs> and you can kind of hear them just sort of like, it's you just brrr, down, like, as they go tearing down the hall and then they slide across the floor. You've got hard flooring. So cats. We have um, some squeeze toys that have like that, like a, like a, what would you call it? A honking type noise inside, sure. right? Where you, and then when you hear that in the middle of the night, you think, who gave that toy to them? Like, why would you give them a toy that makes noise that they're just going to activate <laughs> at 3 a.m.? <laughs> rip it apart. Pets, keep, that com- keep those stories coming. 204-780-6868 for your chance to win. In the meantime, GMAC, it's Monday morning, our weekly visit with the one, the only voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Well, it wasn't a weekend letdown per se. It just simply felt, if you're asking me, as though there weren't as many excuses to sit down and escape into the world of sports as there were last weekend. Bob Irving joins us now. Masters weekend, tough to tough to top, Bob. Well, it is. They they play the RBC Heritage at Hilton Head Island the week after the Masters every year. And it had a pretty good field. Uh, there was a bit of a compelling story, though, if you're a golf fan, as I am. Stuart Sink, who's 47 years old and who went roughly nine years without winning on tour after winning six times in the early stages of his career, uh, scored a victory yesterday at the RBC Heritage's second of the year. Uh, he had a son caddying for him, and, you know, it was kind of a neat story where the two of them... Uh, Walked those last few holes kind of smiling with their arms around one another. And uh, Stu Sink went off to, to win that for, as they say, his second win of the year, which is pretty remarkable for a guy 47 years old. Not many 47-year-olds or players of that age win on the PGA Tour. And then Corey Connors, the Canadian who's become such a presence uh, on the leaderboards in the PGA Tour, tied for fourth, won another $300,000. Uh, he's become a real cash machine. So... Uh, that attracted my attention, as did the hockey game last night, Greg. And I think a lot of people were quite interested in how the Van- Vancouver Canucks would make out, don't you think? Yeah, I would say so. The Canucks coming back, their first game on the ice since a 5-1 loss to the Jets. That was March 24th, Bob. They're going to play 18 games in the next 30 days. Talk about what happened in Vancouver last night. Well, so they're playing Toronto, their first game back after that long COVID break. They didn't have all of their players in the lineup. Some of them still recovering, not ready to play. They had, they had a, I guess, a large majority of their frontline guys, but they were really thin on the blue line. And nobody, I don't think, gave them a chance to beat Toronto last night. The game was in Vancouver. They fell behind 2 nothing, And, you know, it just didn't look good for them. But they rallied and they won the game in overtime. And Braden Holpe, their goalie, was sensational. Probably the best game he's had all season because he has not not had a good year. And the thing that struck me was Tyler Myers, the former Winnipeg Jet who plays defense for the Canucks now, he played 30 minutes in that game last night. And for those who don't follow the timing of uh, ice time that closely, that's an awful lot. Very few defensemen play that many minutes on a nightly basis. Victor Hedman in Tampa and a couple of others would be close to that. But there were shifts where... Myers could barely get off the ice. He was so tired. He was kind of leaning down, resting his stick on his knees while the play was going on, Mm -hmm. something you never see. Uh, And yet he kept coming out for They only had four or five defensemen dressed for the game, and then they lost Alex Edler early when he got a major for kneeing Zach Hyman. Anyway, it was really a remarkable performance by Myers and the rest of the Canucks. And good news for the Jets because the game did go to overtime. But Toronto only got one point instead of two, and so they're only four ahead of the Jets now for first in the North Division. But uh, really a, a remarkable win for the Canucks. Yeah, that was nice to see, I think, for them and their spirits. But that win for the Canucks over the Leafs followed the Jets' loss to Edmonton Saturday night. The Oilers are 5-2 versus Winnipeg this season, and it would appear that at this point, Bob, that the two are likely first-round playoff opponents what did you see in that game that didn't make you sigh like it was making me sigh? Well, I didn't see anything good, really. The Jets <laughs> turned in a very sluggish 
performance. Uh, they they held uh, Connor McDavid in a reasonable check, I guess, although he still had two assists. He is such an, a special player. No, I think it was the the old story about the first game back after a long road trip. They just were not sharp. They didn't have their legs. They didn't have much going for them. I expect them to be much better now for the rest of this homestand. I think that's, again, one of those nights where you just kind of write it off and say, look, a lot of things conspired during a season to put a team in a tough spot, and the Jets had been away for so long and then, you know, just didn't look sharp. I thought they tried hard, but it just wasn't there for them on Saturday night. So now they get eight of their last 11 games at home. Now, home ice advantage isn't what it normally would be because there's no fans in the stands, but it's still easier to play at home than it is on the road. I know the Jets' road record would belie that to some degree, but you don't have to travel. You're better rested, and the home stand starts Thursday against the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I expect, and Blake Wheeler will be back in their lineup, and they miss him. I think they miss him as a driving force and a leader on the ice. So we'll see what happens Thursday night. Uh, that's going to be a, a very interesting and a, and a key game. If the Jets have any chance of running down the Leafs for first place, uh, you know, that's again they're going to have to win. Bob, if we could just circle back to, to the Canucks for a moment. I think it was uh, forward JT Miller a few days ago who was saying that it's really not ideal 18 games in 30 days and talked about it being uh, downright dangerous, uh, you know, because that's a lot of games in 30 days at the best of times. These guys are coming off of COVID recovery, haven't played in a few weeks, and now they got to go play 18 games in 30 days. Is it, it, would you agree that it's kind of dangerous? Oh sure, yeah. It's I think it's inhumane to to a degree, you know, to expect these guys to do that. Every team in the NHL this year has had to play compacted games, but nothing like Vancouver is facing because of all the games that were postponed during COVID. But the NHL is bound and determined to have them complete their 56 game schedule uh, for competitive balance, I guess, and just to make sure everybody plays the full schedule. We'll see if they. Their last two games are supposed to be against the Winnipeg Jets right at the end of the year. Um, and whether or not, well, we'll see what the NHL does. But back to your question, Brett, yeah, for sure. It's it's just not fair to ask these athletes to do that. But that's what the league is doing. And the Canucks really have no choice. They're just going to have to go out there and go through this grinding, grueling schedule. I was going to ask you about Patrick Marlowe uh, breaking yeah. Gordie Howe's record tonight, but we won't have uh, time to chat about that and the CFL. So let me ask you about the board of board of governors getting together tomorrow. What are you anticipating getting out of that meeting? What will we hear? And it uh, doesn't look too good for starting training camps on time, Bob. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to make any announcement tomorrow. The CFL Board of Governors, I expect that Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner, will say something tomorrow or the next day, Greg. But I don't think there's any way in the world they can open training camp in mid-May like they were hoping to. Whether or not he'll give a definitive date or, yeah, I expect that the next time Ambrosi speaks, he'll simply say, look, we've postponed the start of the season. We have no other choice. We don't know when we can get going. We'll let you know. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we have our winning text, 204-780-6868 on Rude Awakenings, $20 gift card, Santa Lucia Pizza. Greg, read the runner-up text from Sandy. When I was pregnant with my first child, I was wearing a onesie laying on the couch, and my husband went out for a while to play at the casino. When I got up off the couch and sat up, the house alarm went off. It totally scared the baby right out of me. And I jumped up and ran out of the back door in the winter in my bare feet to my next door neighbor's house. They are very good friends of ours. And I asked the husband to come back with me to check the house because I thought there was an intruder in our home and he may and maybe came in through the basement window. He checked the house. Everything was fine. No intruder, no break in. What had happened? As my husband left, he had set the alarm when he left the house. I'm guessing he set it to away as though there's nobody in the home. So when I sat up on the couch, I triggered the motion sensor. He didn't even win. And Brett, what did you ask? I, I just wanted to clarify. Like, did you actually give birth? Yeah, did your baby come baby? out? <laughs> I guess it was a figure of speech. And, and she said, uh, Sandy said, no, but I killed my husband when he came home empty handed. <laughs> 
Fair enough, Sandy. Good story, Sandy. Great stuff. But our winning story, uh, Loren, this is like just a, a kind of a harrowing tale. Oh, crazy story. Late one evening, I was in bed watching TV and my wife was sleeping. All of a sudden, I heard a crash coming from the main floor, catching me by surprise and even waking my wife. She sat up asking what happened, but I had no idea. I got up, went down the stairs, halfway down the stairs. I saw the front living room wall smashed into the room with vehicle in the wall. I ran back up the stairs, grabbed the phone, tossed it to my wife, said, call 911. Someone ran into our house. Meanwhile, the house alarm is sounding. I guess it should be. I'm getting dressed. I happened to have my camera in our room, ran back downstairs. When I got outside, neighbors were outside, also calling 911. I could hear sirens in the background. The driver was still in the vehicle. I got pictures of the driver. The driver staggered out and then left. Two young men followed the driver and led the police to the house he was hiding in. So I don't know if it was just running because he hit the house or running to escape or running because he was already running from police, but that's a pretty crazy story. So congratulations. You're our winner. Santa Lucia Pizza, $20 gift card. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, if you are a a Rogers Wireless user, you might be having some issues today. We've had a couple of people texting us asking if they knew anything about Rogers. And one of our listeners, Gary, wakes us up every morning. First text, typically from Gary, sends a picture when he's out walking his dog in the morning. He says, good morning, smarters. And uh, he couldn't send his picture today. He was asking, what's wrong? Is your text line down? I can't send my morning photo. So uh, he emailed it to us. So uh, that's uh, he says he's on Rogers and looks like that's what it is. So if you've been wondering what is wrong with my phone, that's what's going on. Our next story is one that thousands of Canadians can relate to. And our guest is hoping that by talking about his journey with infertility, he can open up a conversation that will ultimately help others experiencing the same thing. Yeah, his name is John Waldman. In the past, he's spoken to us about uh, one of his more recent books, which was about the Jets. This latest book, which is set to launch at McNally Robinson Wednesday, is far more personal. The title is Swimming Aimlessly, and it chronicles John and his wife's long and sometimes painful road to parenthood. John joins us now this morning. Good morning, John. Good morning. Let's take a, our listeners back a bit. How long did you try to conceive? Uh, in the end, great news, you're the father of a gorgeous little girl, but that was a, that was a long path you took. Yeah, it started uh, basically in uh, 2008, 2009 is when we started trying to, uh, to conceive. We had trouble uh, from the start um, getting pregnant, and then once we were able to get pregnant, unfortunately, uh, we had a miscarriage about eight weeks in. Uh, so from there, we went through a variety of tests to see what's, where the trouble may be. Um, ended up with a diagnosis of unexplained infertility, but uh, there were some mixed factors. So we both uh, started to look at paths for ourselves individually and as a couple. Um, went through a couple of procedures here, doing trying with drugs, trying with IUI, and ultimately we ended up going across the country to Victoria for IVF in 2014, where we had success. We're going to tell folks how they can join the book launch in a minute, John. And we've always been so grateful over the years for you to share your story the way you do with passion, with compassion, and to let folks in. Is writing the book as uh, therapeutic for you as it might be a roadmap for other couples? Um, In a way, it was therapeutic because it was able to uh, go through uh, not only in telling my story, but sharing a lot of the research that I was able to find, uh, you know, looking at how common it is, how, how some of the, not just the infertility itself, but some of the other steps along the way, uh, mental health, for example, and seeing how common it was uh, for people to have anguish and almost have a trauma around uh, infertility. But in some ways, it was more challenging uh, just because reliving a lot of those times in my life was troubling. There were times that honestly, I just had to shut down my computer, take a break for even for a week to sort of just redigest and refocus and be able to get back into it. But certainly the mission always was, was to complete the book, to have this outlet that would help people along the way and to get conversation better going amongst men in particular, uh, so that they could have a better pathway 
to having conversations and to getting their focuses going forward. You talk in the book about feelings of inadequacy and shame. What do you mean by that? Basically, when you're looking at this procedure to have a child, um, whether you're looking at it naturally or whether you're looking at it from the religious standpoint of being fruitful and multiply, um, if it's something that you're not able to do by yourselves, by the way that we are, quote-unquote, intended to do it, there's a feeling of being lesser than, for lack of a better term, for of being, and, it, and then it just permeates, and then you start to question a lot of things in your life. You know, am I well-suited for this, that, or the other? And it really just takes a number on you mentally. It creates a major deficiency in your self-esteem as well. How much of that, John, is just sort of the pressure that it's put upon people who want to become parents, this idea that, well, yeah, everybody gets pregnant or you can just get pregnant without looking at the numbers. I think it's one in six experience infertility, yeah. one in six couples. And yet, you know, there's that feeling, and I know I've had family and friends go through this where you just think, well, this is supposed to happen. Like, why isn't it happening the way it should? And so we have all this outside pressure. It could be from family, it could be from friends just saying, well, why aren't you pregnant yet? Not realizing how loaded that question can be. Absolutely. And it's something that we had uh, from uh, from members of our family. Um, one of our family's grandmothers, for example, was saying that she wants to push a baby carriage before she pushes a walker. Um, in other cases, it's something that's a little bit more innocuous. You know, I, I, I often cite a particular instance where I ran into an old uh, colleague from high school who said, was asking about my kids' situation and when I told him that I didn't have kids yet, uh, the comment back was, you better catch up. Well, uh, aside from the the logistics that you're never actually going to catch up with somebody who already has kids um, unless you're adopting, the reality is, is that those simple, innocent comments can often hurt the most. And it's something that I've found in the number of people that I've spoken to in the support groups that I've been in, is that it's the innocent comments or the times when people start to hear about infertility and they'll offer up the unwanted advice or the sometimes unhelpful advice that does the most damage more than anything else. So John, I'm looking at the book's description here in the setup for Wednesday's book launch on Zoom, which our own Loren McNabb will be hosting. And it says here, Winnipeg-based author uses his own journey as inspiration in this heartfelt and funny guide for men and couples struggling with infertility. Let's lighten the mood just a tiny bit. What sort of funny <laughs> stories have are you sharing in this book to... You know, the laughter is the best medicine for a lot of things. Does that include what you went through with your wife? No question. Uh, you really have to have to keep a little bit of a lightness, a little bit of sense of humor to it, no matter what you're doing. Um, I was looking at, for example, in a Reddit group, there were people that were talking about that they would watch the 16 and pregnant shows and such, um, which you wouldn't expect from somebody who's suffering from infertility. But they were they found that it was a release that they were able to laugh at the um, at the misfortune they were having versus the 16-year-olds who were getting pregnant uh, without issue. Uh, beyond that, though, I, to me, there's nothing funnier than when you get people who have who work in the industry, be they comedians, be they Hollywood writers, etc., who are talking about their experiences. So I was able to speak with the um, with the producer of a movie about infertility, and he talked about going on the tour of the male, uh, last, for lack of a better term, male rooms where we do what we do as part of the whole procedure. Um, and he <laughs> talked about just the different atmospheres that he saw there. And I related to him the incident that I had. And it was it was good to have that little bit of, uh, of laughter. But absolutely, you know, the, the number one thing that anybody can do whenever no matter what the situation is that they're in, to have a little bit of that self, that, that sense of com- of comedic um, angle to it, because it, it, it honestly keeps you more sane than anything else can as you're going through very difficult procedures and emotional uh, situations. Well, it's relatable too, John, right? I mean, at the end of the day, if you're going through this, you do... <laughs> You do lose your dignity a little bit in some moments, right? I mean, you're fairly exposed in all sorts of ways. You have to be vulnerable. So you have to, you know, if you can, laugh at the moments that are laughable. 
No question. And I, and I say, I've, I've said this uh, several times is that as soon as you start to go through infertility, you're talking about a very intimate part of your life. You're talking about sexuality. You're talking about the bedroom. So you're going from ABC's TGIF to Comedy Central's roast in the moment's notice. And it really, everything becomes a little bit more uncensored with you. And typical conversation, even amongst people who aren't suffering from infertility, changes very quickly. And you, sometimes you have to be a little bit more aware of that. But when you have these supports available that you have now uh, with groups like Fertility Matters Canada, uh, the outlets online, especially through Facebook, there are there's so many places where you can have your freak out moments where you can have your venting moments and have those moments where you just need to laugh. The name of the book is Swimming Aimlessly. It's written by John Waldman. Online book launch Wednesday, this Wednesday, April 21st, 7 p.m. through Zoom. So if anybody wants to access that, do they just go to McNally Robinson's website for more information? Yeah, McNallyRobinson.ca uh, is promoting it, um, and and it's all it'll be up on my social as well. My Instagram is John underscore Walpin. My Twitter is John Walpin, and I'm going to have all the information there. And certainly, um, anybody who's not uh, in will not feeling like they can participate in the event, um, they can contact me directly uh, through DMs, and I'm happy to speak with them. Um, this being Canadian Infertility Awareness Week, it is the time that a lot of these conversations are going to happen, and you're going to see not only my launch, um, but a lot of other opportunities available to uh, start to learn more about what uh, couples are going through. Winnipeg author John Waldman, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you very much. And once again, that book launch will be hosted, moderated by our very own Loren McNabb. So that's I'm cool. going to get behind the story of that uh, donation, the funny donation story that John had there. That We're going to leave it at that for radio, <laughs> but for a book launch Zoom. All, all gloves are off. Car- all gloves are off. We're going to dig <laughs> deep. On. Hope John's still listening. <laughs> He's still on the phone. <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.